0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. I am Tyson Popplestone. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming back. Today on the show, I've got a friend of mine joining us by the name of Jason Smith. Now, you probably don't know or you might not know the name Jason Smith, but I reckon you'll know the business that he started, especially if you're here in Australia. Jace is the founder of the Back in Motion Health Group, or you might know it more as a physiotherapy clinic. He founded Back in Motion back in his garage in 1999. At its peak, he led a team of more than 700 professionals in over 140 locations across Australia and New Zealand. From his garage, Back in Motion quickly became Australia's largest and fastest growing provider of physiotherapy and related services. How's this? I had no idea until Jason and I had this conversation today that Two years ago, he sold back in motion with an ASX-listed Allied Health parent, Healthia, setting a record for one of the largest transactions recognised in the history. I did a little Google search. It sold for eighty-eight point nine million dollars, which was absolutely mind-blowing. Just you couldn't be more pumped for a transaction like that. He's a passionate passionate guy. He's passionate about the power of effective leadership. He established the Iceberg Leadership Institute in 2008, helped thousands of aspiring and experienced professionals uh, in a whole range of areas, a whole range of backgrounds through his masterclasses and mentorship since its inception. He's the author of two books. The first one, Get Yourself Back in Motion, was an international bestseller. His second book, Outside, in, downside, up leadership has been an instant success with CEOs, entrepreneurs and leaders from a whole range of different fields. Jace is a keynote speaker. He's a charismatic guy. I used to hear him speak regularly at our church, which is where I first met him. I actually used to teach Jace as a kid when I was a PE teacher back in about 2010 and that's where our friendship first really got started, but we've both got passion for uh, communication. This is one of the most inspiring guys I ever met, or I've ever met. He's a really open book. He's very honest about his faith. He's on, honest about his workload. He's honest about his mistakes, which makes this a, a really engaging, really interesting conversation. So I really hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I did. If you're interested in getting in touch with him, make sure you check out his website. I've also included the books that he's written in the description to this episode below. But for now, let me introduce to the Pop Culture Podcast for the very first time, my mate, Jason Smith. What are you going to tell us, tough guys?
1: It's my usual, zero, nothing.
0: Jason, I feel like every single conversation that you and I have seems to start with, it's. it's been a little while, and uh, and this one's no exception. I think the last time we caught up in person was at the uh old Waverley Park football ground I reached out to you asking for a little bit of guidance you paid for a breakfast and a coffee for me and then I hadn't seen you for six years so it's uh it's good to break the drought once again how you how you traveling yeah it's
1: a sign of good friendship I think if you can um have long absences and not necessarily be involved in each other's world but when you do reconnect it feels like only yesterday so I'll take that as a compliment Tyson
0: (laughs) for sure It, it definitely does seem to be a case I uh just got back from Perth, actually, where I used to live. I lived there from sort of 2000 until about 2001. And I made a couple of really good mates. And uh, one of my best mates, Chopper, I haven't seen since 2017. And when I got there, he uh, he picked me up from the airport. Or I got dropped off at his house pretty soon after I got to the airport. And we're like, mate, isn't it ridiculous that I haven't seen you in six years? And I feel like the conversation's kind of just picked up (laughs) where it's left off. It's definitely true. It's been a wild couple of years since I've spoken to you since then. I I can imagine as a man uh, uh, behind so many different businesses, it's been a fun few years for you.
1: Yeah, look, it's been wild. And, you know, this is true for everyone, I think, when you consider the fast pace at which the world is changing um, and throw a little pesky virus in there called COVID and it just turns us upside down. But, you know, in some ways that feels like a long time ago. I mean, that's... That's um, what, a year and a half or more ago now. But when we were in the middle of that, I'm sure, yeah, we were wondering how we would come out of it. It's good to be on the other side.
0: Yeah. How was that for you? It was funny. I was, I was saying to, to Jesse before I came in here about how I'm, I'm probably 25 years behind anything that you've set up, but I feel as though the, the journey that you're on in terms of business and in terms of challenges, whether that be sort of setting up a business, navigating it with family, looking after health is is relatively similar and i mean i found uh, because i'm not even sure if you know what i'm doing outside of here but i've got an online subscription uh membership so it's a a running based membership model and it's aimed at running based sports and it's a a majority of it's virtual there's no in-person clinics and even even me in the relatively infant stages of, of my own business when covid hit i was a little bit like oh (laughs) <laughs> this is a little scary yeah. and i mean you only have to google your name to realize how far into the journey you are and you know how many how many uh, what do you say um centers physios yeah. you've got set up around the country to realize that's a fairly daunting kind of headspace and if there's one thing that i've learned in business it's like you never get to a point where challenges disappear even if you've got the systems in place uh, you know, the world throws you COVID and says, hey, have a go at this yeah. and, and let me know how you go. What, what was the headspace for those few years, Jason? Yeah, uh,
1: I think my favourite um, comment that I've heard somebody else say when they referenced their experience in COVID is uh, it's like we were all in the same storm, but we were in different boats, um, which is obviously a little bit of a play on that axiom that says, oh, you know, everyone's in the same boat. Actually, we weren't in the same boat. We were in different boats, but we were in the same storm. And so for me personally, I mean, COVID was tough. There, there's, no, there's no diminishing that. And I'm, I'm in Melbourne, and, you know, we had something like 270 days of lockdown in that 18-month period. Uh, we have a complex business. We have operations running right across Australia and into New Zealand. And so when you think of all the different jurisdictions and compliance measures that came to bear on us, it was it was like overnight we went from wanting one, one homogenous network of healthcare practices to becoming, you know, eight or nine different businesses because of all of the geographies and the different rules and obligations that were on us. And in healthcare. Because it was such a critical um, field of service delivery during the sensitivities of COVID, uh, the rigor that got applied to our business was um, significantly higher. But, you know, don't feel too sorry for us because although we had um, challenges and, and there were hardships in it all and we had to get our heads wrapped around an entirely different approach to business, we grew. 25% Twenty five percent during COVID. I mean, we were still launching new practices. Um, I think at our lowest ebb uh, in the first maybe three to four months of the COVID experience, we had to we had to stand down about two hundred staff of our seven hundred because we were all just, you know, in that in that days of I have no idea where this is heading, and we just our workflow did dry up but within 30 days of standing them down we not only recruited them all back but we were in market looking for as many other practitioners as we could get because of the slingshot effect and you know the the recovery that we were seeing in different parts of our network and so You know, I just think God's very gracious to us, mate, not because of any intelligence on our part. We're we're all, you know, exposed and vulnerable to to things outside our control. And uh, we were fortunate. Uh, We grew during that period. Our business got stronger. Our systems got tested and therefore refined, which meant we emerged out of COVID with just a much better roadmap. I think in the industry, we, we probably stood out as one of the stronger performers and where others were folding, we were able to, um, you know, we were able to consolidate and I'm very grateful for that really.
0: Yeah, it's it's such, a, it's such an interesting conversation. There's so many directions you can take that because, I mean, the systems is one that I'm fascinated by because I understand that behind the scenes of uh, both a successful business and sometimes failing business, there's, not with reference to you, but just with reference to business in general, Um, there's systems that are working and they're effective and they alleviate stress and there's systems that are stressful and not working and they create stress and I find that balance of trying to figure out what an effective system is especially for the season that you're in to be one of the more challenging things like a lot of the time that trial factor of you know going into a season or going into a new idea with particular systems in place to try and solve particular challenges Mm is really heartening when you're in it but then you have to actually implement the system and see the result and navigate with logic and hopefully not too much emotion whether or not it's an effective way to go forward and yeah. the emotion factor is is one that I I personally struggle with a little bit because I I listen to uh, people I like listening to Ben Shapiro about a whole range of topics and, and one thing that he definitely doesn't have too much in many of his conversations. is a whole heap of emotion. Mm. I feel as though I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum where I go, okay, Tice. Like I know your emotions are screaming that everything that you believe is right. But unfortunately, the system that you have in place, the result says there's perhaps something that needs to be improved. And so for yourself, I find it hard to fathom, like the idea that you had 700 staff, there's so many moving parts. Yeah. There's probably a number of systems that could work and a number of systems that don't work. How do you go about even setting up a system that you think is effective for the environment that you're in without just going crazy with stress and fear and anxiety about whether or not it's actually going to work?
1: Yeah. Well, let me start by saying that there's no get out of jail free card for anxiety, stress and hard work. So... Anybody who's looking for the panacea for all of that emotional strain that's kind of part and parcel of the, the journey of leading scaled businesses, I think is diluted. I mean, there's a certain degree of challenge inherent in that adventure. And it attracts a certain type of person. So you and I were up for it. Doesn't mean we enjoy every day, but we we kind of um, match the challenge or match the strain with energy to uh, to overcome it. It's part of the thrill of the chase. But you know, here's the thing about systems, and and I'm a bit of a systems guy. Uh, I have to be because we have a distributed, scaled business. You know, at our peak, we have 140 practices around the country, and um we're services based you know we're physiotherapy predominantly which means every patient interaction uh, it's not a widget it's not a predetermined um, you know algorithm where I can just know that I know every practitioner is going to do what I would do in the situation they've got clinical sovereignty they've got professional judgment. And every patient, even if they've got the same blown knee or strained back really has different biomechanical, anatomical, physiological anomalies. And so actually to systemize a business like healthcare and services is is really difficult. So here's my basic approach to systems. I want to, uh, I want to systemize the routine of our business, but you have to create space to humanize the exceptions. So systemize the routine and humanize the exceptions, which means you want standard operating procedures, you want protocols, you want automated business practices to take decision and discretion out of the system if at all possible. But you've got to leave room for the human element. You've got to leave room for the unpredictable. And so you need to train leadership attributes into every individual. You don't want monkeys running your system. You want highly intelligent and emotionally engaged people. You talk about the difference between logic and emotion. You need both. They're they're, they're the wings of the plane that keep this thing balanced. Otherwise, you end up with all intelligence and no emotional regulation, then you know, you, you you've kind of got a um, a lopsided vehicle. So with systems, I, I um you know I love it when people just follow what we create so that the business runs like clockwork. But I'm you know I'm a realist. If eighty percent of my people follow eighty percent of my systems, eighty percent of the time, I'm thrilled because they're humanizing. Around the periphery, bringing their distinctive flavour, personality, engaging with the patient's uniqueness in front of them, and I think that's probably the sweet spot. Getting that that sort of um, proportionality in the way we approach business and life, because at the basis of it all is relationship, and there's no one relationship the same. So I am a systems guy. I believe in it. I just don't want to be overstating it as being. A purist approach, if that makes
0: sense. For sure. Yeah, you always hear the stereotype of the the GP who's got all the brains and no ability to communicate what the actual problem is. And so it it makes a a whole heap of sense. But in terms of uh, where you sit on the scale, like would you lean more to logic or more to emotion? You seem like a fairly passionate guy, so I'm going to guess emotion. But I mean, you've also got a, a crazily successful business. So it comes with either some some really good leaders that are helping you out yeah. or a whole heap of logic that sort of uh, balances the equation a little more. I,
1: I think my default settings are logic. I think, um, you know, I'm a scientist by profession. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a physiotherapist, which means I've, I've studied the, uh, the physics of the human body and it's objective and it's best practice and it's evidence driven and, um, I uh, sort of don't do that by touch and feel. That, that, that's kind of like the empirical framework in which I view the world. And I'm very task-driven, which is not something I'm proud of, by the way. That gets me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but, but but I am very, very task-focused. And, and I think um, the people who might be surprised at my answer, if they know me, if they've worked with me, and they thought I might have said, "I'm actually more emotive than logical. I think that's just because I have worked really, really hard. like i'm I'm not I'm not a young man mate. not as young as you. I have worked really hard for like thirty years, intentionally, trying to bring an emotive filter, like an appreciation for what people think and feel to the conversation or to the workplace, to relationships, because my default is I can be just a little bit black and white.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: But you know, if, if I'm 50, 50 of both, and of course I'm not, but if I was, um, it would be because I've worked harder on the emotional stuff. The logic does come a bit easier.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Who's it getting you in trouble with? Is that with your family or is oh, that with yeah, the mate. people that you're actually working oh, with? Oh, that, that gets me in nature. trouble
1: everywhere. That gets me in trouble everywhere. Um, it gets me in trouble at home. It gets me in trouble at church. It gets, me in tr- it gets me in trouble at work. It gets me in trouble in the garden, mate. I can't weed the garden without something telling me that I'm just a little bit too pragmatic about things. So anyway, Um it's good to have feedback in life, right?
0: Uh, do you know, what, do you, what are you in the Enneagram? Because I'm an Enneagram type seven, um, which is like the adventurer, the, the fun loving. I'm not even sure. I throw that at you like you're going to know. But yeah. I forget that not everyone's completely interested. But I go to, so I, I'll just tell you this for, for anyone who might know what it is. It's essentially a, a system. It's a personality type that basically takes into consideration strengths, weaknesses, growth points. And for me, I'm seven, which is fun loving, uh, you know, if not careful, can get caught up being very shallow, very surface level, um, all about fun, all about thrills, all about attention. But when I'm put under stress, a lot of sevens go across to a one, which is very black and white. And like you, yeah. um, I mean, I've got two, two young kids now, which is new since we lost caught up a three yeah. year old a one year old, both boys, high energy, little sleep, <clears throat> new stresses in the family. I tell you, there's a lot of days that I'm going to a one, a lot more than I like to admit. And so I can definitely appreciate where you're coming from in terms of (laughs) getting yourself in trouble with the black and white nature of um, how you approach or how you see particular tasks. But, I mean, that's just a long-winded description of what it is, just to ask if you know what you are on the Enneagram.
1: I'm not as familiar with the Enneagram. I don't use that profiling tool as often, but I use the DISC a lot. So I use that with my teams. I use that um, even in – Church life, we've we've used that a fair bit. So in the disc, which is the disc um, oversimplification of personality profiles, I am high D, and my which which is dominant personality. So it's a very uh, objective, uh, assertive, uh, energetic um, style of delivery and engagement. But but I have as a very close second. High I, which is the influencer, and so that's actually a little bit more like you and the way you're describing your seven, in that it's it's about relationship and and, and um, trying to uh, bring maybe humour and um, and some sensitivity, but a lot of energy to the relationship. And so I've got this really interesting mix. And of course, there's no bad personality. There's no there's no good and um, there's no wrong. there's just who you are and exercising those attributes to your advantage and hopefully diminishing the um, the double-edged sword where they can work against you and so you know that just means under stress and strain I can just get very very focused and very determined almost to a detriment, not almost to a detriment. <laughs> And, um, and I just forget that people have beating hearts and, uh, you know, that, that person lives in a family and there's more than whatever I'm concerned about at stake. So that's at my worst when I'm really under stress and strain. Um, and, and I go into the man cave or, or into, into the, the figurative cave yeah. Yeah. and become solo, not team driven. So, so they're really unappealing attributes. But when I use my personality attributes to my advantage, then I am engaging, inclusive, I can relate well to people, build rapport of all ages, um, get us to achieve tasks on purpose. And so there's lots to love about that. It's just making sure you get the ratios right on any given
0: day. It's so true. Whenever I'm uh, calm, relaxed, I've got a coffee in my hand usually. I've had a couple of days away from work or at least switched off from the things that usually cause stress. I can have an honest conversation with you, uh, my friends, my wife, and I can tell you honestly and accurately what all of my faults are and how it is that I need to improve them. But when the moments of stress come back, my appreciation or care for the fact that these are issues that need serious attention goes out of the window. And I go, you know what, I'll start tomorrow or I'll start later today because right now I'm furious. Yeah and I can't be bothered trying to improve any part of my personality or consider that this might be a healthier option for my marriage. Absolutely. And I makes I you human, Tyson. It makes you normal. For sure. For sure. No, I, I definitely appreciate that. But one of the things that I, I laugh at or I at least acknowledge is that it it's in the moment where, like, you're probably set up for the most amount of growth and you can actually start to implement some change into, you know, the the, the – I don't want to say the core failures, but the, the problems with your personality that you're aware of that it's hardest to do. And so I'm curious, like for, for yourself, who, you know, yeah. if you're not cautious, can forget about that, that beaten heart in the person in front of you or the the frustration that you might feel that forces you into the figurative man cave. Yeah. How do you deal with that kind of stress? Do you have a go to a go-to, are you? Are you a, I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going for a run. Yeah. Because for me, I find like just that physical exertion helps me come back and I'm a better bloke. Jessie often says to me, she goes, babe, go for a run because I don't like you that much right now. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. that's not her being gracious and letting you enjoy your hobby. That's survival. That's her saying the home needs to be quieter for a bit. Um, Look, I think, think, yeah, I mean, that's my world too. Um, It it might be most people's. When we're under stress and strain, we're not at our best. I, I think of the analogy actually of a laptop. You know, I'm on a laptop all the time. I travel a lot. And um, of course, I can plug my laptop into mains power, and it can go all day like that's that's it running on default, it will do exactly what you want it to do, it's predictable. Um, The moment I unplug my laptop, and I'm on battery power, then obviously, I've only got a limited amount of time before it shuts down. And when I am functioning in my purest personality attributes, high D, high I, the world's working with me, um, I can go all day like I'm on mains power. But if I have to step out of my default settings and I have to be extraordinarily sensitive to people and I have to be caring in an unnatural way, if I have to carry the load of people's problems that are just unsustainable, then I can only, it's it's like being on battery. I can do it, but I can only do it for a certain amount of time, and then I shut down. And so I, I think I've learned now what those signs of shutting down are, like I become very short with people. I feel immensely physically tired. It's amazing how draining physiologically it is. My adrenal glands are just working overtime because I'm trying to, Overcompensate for something that is not my natural disposition. Um, I I I actually lose all my spiritual disciplines um, and I start eating poorly. Like actually, the whole the whole system really starts going in the the wrong direction. And so when I pick up those signs, those signals, I know my batteries run out. I've got to charge up again. And actually, yeah, I'll, I'll go for a run. I don't mind that. Um, whatever it is, though, that I do, I must be on my own. Even if there are other people in the room, I need to have some Jason's space. So um, reflection is a really powerful tool for me. I, will, I do a lot of reflection. Um, and, you know, to, to just be really candid, that's between me and God. Like when I'm at that low point of having drained myself to the point of no battery life left, my only saving grace, my only recovery strategy, I mean, I can go for a run and I can watch a movie and take myself out for a coffee and whatever. But really, if God does not come in and refresh me in that moment, um, I'm cooked. It's a very Mm. long road back. It takes days to recover. So I I just know my go-to strategy is Time of reflection, time of prayer. Let God recover me because I've probably gone past the point of my own return, and mm-hmm. that that really is a, a habit that I rely on.
0: Sure, when you when you're speaking about um, having that that figurative battery packed recharged, especially with reference to God, like what does what does recharging with God actually look like to you? I had this conversation with a friend. I, I think I mentioned to you just before I started recording that I was up at Mount Hotham this weekend. There was three couples from our church. There was eight kids. And <clears throat> for a little context, one of my uh, relatively new friends, but quickly becoming one of my best friends, a guy called Nick uh, and his wife, they have three kids. Uh, they had four kids. They, they lost one in a, a tragic accident wow. um, where it was, their, their kid was hit by a car and killed just oh. two and a half years ago. 18 oh. month old girl. Uh, Haver was her name. And yeah, you, you look at these guys, and honestly, for for me, I like since uh, since we last spoke, I, I finished working at the church in twenty fifteen, and I had around five years where I, I went to church on a handful of weekends. I wasn't overly interested. I was the the I mean, in the church world, this is fairly common for anyone not familiar. Um, the the system of church, I was over. I, I felt really tired by that. The message of Jesus, I was still into. I liked that. I liked what he was about. Yeah. But for me, I found as though I had myself caught in more of a, a, a set of religious practices where I was going through the motion, but my, my heart was pretty cold. You would ask me about uh, you know, church and God or whatever, and I would give you all the routine answers without, you know, without much conviction, I think. And then I met this guy, and um, you know, this is probably one of the uh, big events on a chain of events that, that really started to challenge me. I met him a year ago. So he lost his daughter a year and a half earlier. <clears throat> He's There's there's zero bitterness. <laughs> He's the most, or at least the, one of the most passionate guys I've, I've ever met when it comes to his passion for, for church and passion for God. Um, he holds no uh, bitterness or, or he, he doesn't blame God for what happened, essentially. Yeah. In fact, if anything, you meet this guy and you don't have to, I know some people get a little awkward when you talk about church and god but for context this is the kind of guy that you meet and you're like okay whatever he believes i need that because there's no way you can survive and and thrive and yeah. love life after an event like that if there's not something greater holding you up yeah i mentioned this guy to a friend a while ago and she was like yeah, if if that happened to me i'd probably just kill myself because like how do you how do you for context it was it was the wife who who reversed oh, over gee. their little daughter just it just keeps getting tragic, worse doesn't it it's hard not to cry when you talk about it, but mm-hmm. but,, uh, yeah, Nick and Janet are their names, and they both are in the same attitude. they're both just just the most loving, beautiful people you ever meet and I said to him, I go, man, like how do you because I get frustrated if I pray and something small's not not collected they they sat and prayed with their daughter for thirty six hours at their house after she was killed, um like just praying that she would be she'd brought back to life essentially, and obviously it didn't happen, but I said, dude, how are you so happy? Like, how are you with it? How are you not bitter, angry, jaded? You don't want nothing to do with church or people. And he's like, man, like when you have an understanding that it's it, it wasn't God who caused the accident, he didn't plan the accident. Um, yeah. For him, he's like, when I'm plugged into the source of who I believe created my life, you ca- there is no bitterness. There is no anxiety. There is no stress. He's like, I'm not worried about Haver. I'm mm. not worried about like, is she sad? Is she missing me? She's up there with God right now. We'll meet again. Mm. But It was just the most powerful example of someone who's been through probably the most challenging thing I could ever imagine and come out the other side and said, oh, it's because of this. And I said, what what does spending time with God look like for you? And he's like, dude, I don't overcomplicate it. I'll get home from work. I've got a million things to do. I've got a million anxieties. And I'll just go, hey, all right. I'm gonna refocus. I'm gonna recenter. What's my number one priority in life? Yeah. He goes. I'll, I'll get my attention on that, and once it's there, i walk inside. And I go, dude, p- perfect. Because I'm a little, I'm a little systems man, <laughs> and uh, like I, I and, and I, I love systems, and, and so does he. But but just in terms of breaking systems with something simple, I like what he said.
1: Yeah.
0: And I often go, okay, it's got to be 20 minutes of Bible reading. It's got to be half an hour of prayer. I have to go for a walk. Pray for the neighbours. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's like a four-hour task. Yeah, yeah, but I'm sorry, Jason. I'm giving oh, you a lot of lead ups to my questions, and that's an emotional one. But yeah, I, I, and feel free to talk to that. But I was I was curious to find yeah. out about what um, what spending time with God or what yeah. actually reprioritizing your focus looks like to you, because um, that was a really inspiring, fresh example that yeah. he, he just shared with me over the weekend.
1: Wow. So. Um, if I don't answer the question, ask me again. But I can't. I'm inter- not
0: convinced I asked a question. Well, well the no, clarity. no. But, well, <laughs> you, you want
1: to know what does looking, what does working with, what does walking or spending time with God look like for me? And I, I, I want to give you at least my experience with that. But I mean, I can't ignore that story you just said, though. I mean, that, that's that's not a sort of that's not a um, a bit of fiction. That's someone you know. Mm. That that's a real couple who have other children they've still got to care for, who will never forget the one they lost. Um, And the wife will have a journey so unique as she deals with all of the wrestle of emotions that no one will ever understand that she has to reconcile. And um, it's a powerful thing to meet people who have endured such uh, unexplainable hardship like some of us most of us hopefully will never face something that tragic in our lifetime although clearly a lot of people face some terrible things um, but what an incredible example of two lives that husband and wife nick and uh, janet i think you said her name was yep
0: yeah jenna yep. jenna
1: um, who, who model submission, and this is the key word for me, submission. They model submission to their God. And when I think about what's spending time with God for me, that's really the starting point. It's submission. Like for any of you listeners who, who just aren't into church and the whole Jesus thing is foreign, all of which... Is true for everyone at some point in their life, right? Uh, it was mm. for me. I, I didn't I didn't meet Jesus till I was ten years old. I didn't even grow up in a Christian family um, up until that point. But um, this idea of submission is real. God God says He loved me so much that He would give His Son to die for me. And in the response I give is, "Thank you for a gift I could never have earned," but I'm now going to submit to you. In fact you know, my life is not my own. It's, it's now something I have freely given in return. And so when I spend time with God, it's like checking my own ambitions at the door. It's, it's actually sitting in a posture, literally, physically in a posture of uh, submission so that my heart renders itself vulnerable to the only force in this world who I know has a pure best interest for me. And, and that's God. And so I will pray, but you know, my prayers aren't necessarily verbal um, and they're not they're not rehearsed and, and they don't even sound good. Um, but I will sit, I will think, I will ponder. I'll sometimes have a bit of music in the background that I think just gets me into the right mindset. Um, I will read the Bible. But mostly I just sit there and I think and then I write. So so that's how I spend time with God. I write. And I write what I think He would want me to know in that moment, what He's saying to me. And um, you know, I have had some amazing experiences in, in, in following that process and um you know, it's going to look different for everybody. But, yeah, that, that's kind of my recharge, my recovery, my restoration. It, and and it shouldn't just be there for when I'm at a low point. It, it should be for when I'm at my best, my optimum. I just want more of God's influence in my life. So I have to submit. And and Nick and yeah. Jenna, my gosh, they've learnt that lesson and um, that they live it every day if that's their attitude, you know, not one of bitterness and and... Anger, but one of total submission that God is still God, even in the mm. face of hard times.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a cool that's a cool practice. I, I like that because even from a secular perspective, I, I've found cognitive behaviour therapy really helpful in navigating, um, you know, little difficult times. Whether it just be stuck on a, a negative thought pattern for a whole period of time. So for for anyone listening who's not familiar, uh, cognitive behaviour therapy is essentially just recognising a negative pattern of thinking or a negative thought that you're repeating and and looking at that same situation from another perspective and maybe writing one or two more effective ways of of viewing a challenge that you've just got yourself buried down and and negative about. Mm -hmm. But the idea that uh, you'll sit down and and write to yourself or, you know, from your perspective, writing down the thoughts of God on paper, what more powerful way, whether you believe in God or not, just imagining something bigger and greater, more powerful than you, actually offering helpful feedback into your situation, is is, it takes you out of a, a, a relatively small mindset. I remember there's been times in my life, I still do this sometimes, I should copy your pattern more closely, but whenever I'm in a negative mindset, I'll think about someone who, I really admire, and I go okay. Like, what would what would such and such say if they were in this situation? Because you know, some people, Mm. uh, Elon Musk, in his uh, biography, uh, his his older one, I can't remember who wrote it, but apparently, he's got some incredible ability to navigate his way through stress. And what would have people on the brink of a breakdown? Mm -hmm. He's just getting warmed up. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, well, what's the what's the self talk going on in that man's head? To I can't even. I feel this about you. Uh, I feel this about uh, Elon. Like. What's going on in a bloke's head with so many wheels spinning and so many potential stressful events that he can he can laugh his way through it? Like, who spends $46 billion on Twitter and then goes, we're losing money daily, and then gets asked a question about it and goes, yeah, I guess it is quite stressful? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's obviously some mental framework in that man's head that, uh, that is not the usual framework. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, we're not all sane, Tyson. Remember that too. So I, I'm not sure it's necessarily the um, the holy grail of how we sure. live our lives. But, um, you know, the, the peace peace is worth pursuing. Peace is worth pursuing. I don't think we can avoid stress. I don't think we want to be fear driven, and we want to keep our lives just so comfortable and just so orderly that we don't feel pain like i actually think that you know that's that anti-fragility stuff um we, we want to build resilience and the way you develop strength and stamina as you know in the natural is you train hard you push your body to its limit you cause micro fissuring of the of the um musculature so that it then triggers an inflammatory response that can be controlled such that new fresh collagen gets laid down. And at the end of it, you have reinforced uh, tensile strength and rigor in the system. Like this is the biomechanical physiological repair and recovery process. And as in the natural, it's it's true relationally. Yeah. And so we, we want measured stress measured strain pushing just beyond your comfort zone progressively enlarging your capacity and you know Elon Musk I, I mean I've I can only imagine I mean think about the think about the capacity of that guy but you know I'm sure he is also neglecting other things in his world um, that you and I might think is too high a cost for yeah. Him to achieve success in certain channels, and so the 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 matrix of life, you know, what what do you and what do I define a vibrant, successful life to be is a really important clarity. And uh, you know, I I, I um, mentor guys in leadership all over, and it's a trap to try and emulate somebody else's life. Because if we have differing ideas of what the end game looks like and what success really is, then we're going to model ourselves potentially on a flawed strategy. I, I remember this is years ago. Like this is when I first graduated as a physio and I was working for another guy. I was an associate in his practice and, and he was a really great therapist. He had been published in research journals. He spoke at national conferences. He had postgraduate qualifications. He, he was really well respected. But I just remember um, his wife was a, was basically um, didn't want to know him.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: his adult children were estranged from him. And I could have really easily gone his pathway. Like I was academically driven. I was success orientated. You know, you're now learning. I'm very task focused. So I could just burrow in and I could go hard in a career down that path of becoming, you know, top of my field. But, but, but it, I, I remember being caught in my thinking and saying, but you know what? Not at the risk of a vibrant, fulfilling passionate marriage and not at the risk of what I now have, which is four children growing up and feeling like I wasn't there. And so I can't emulate a life or follow a model that's going to take me to a different definition of what I've decided for my world. This is what success looks like. So I want to excel in my work. I want to run an optimal business and I want to be um, a well-respected clinician, but, but I need all these other things in balance as well. And so it just means my, my approach, my rhythms, my habits are going to look different. But the, the thing we all have in common is we're going to have to enlarge our capacity with every year. If we want to achieve more, go further, go faster. And so that's that. Get out of your comfort zone. Progressive stretch is is, a, you know, is the underlying principle.
0: For sure, for sure. That's the pattern of training I use with uh, every running-based sport yeah. player, the progressive overload system. It, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, in terms of striking balance, I know there's perhaps no such things. We venture in and out of striking balance. And one of my favorite stories I've, I've ever heard you speak about that's just stuck with me for probably 10 or 15 years since I first heard it was you, when you were first starting your, your business um, in the garage of your house, decided i could be butchering the day but i feel like it was tuesday night you decided that tuesday night was the night that it was a no sleep night in the uh in the smith family and you're just going to dedicate that night to to making sure the wheels of the business were were spinning um that sounds terrifying to me especially when i know what i'm like with little sleep but with reference to i will speak to that but also with reference because i hold the values uh, that i think you do really similar faith family health um you know contribution there's there's a number of things that that i can quickly lose sight of in the pursuit of whatever it is that sometimes i can't even name with growing my business um and so at the moment like i've got a fairly unique setup in the sense that okay my my work hours are are silly by by a lot of people's standards and um you know i i don't always hold it but pretty much weekdays 10 till three i've got i've got five hours of just hard work and that's kind of the way i like to structure just go hard for five hours get quality work done i've got a few people helping with with little admin things and editing uh, so that eliminates a whole heap of stress got a lot to learn from you about um you know allocating (laughs) allocating more effective people to do tasks that you're terrible at um, I'm, I'm venturing into that world now. But I, I often notice that, uh, I mean, I could, I could spend my whole life all day, every day, like an Elon Musk, mm. at the cost of the things you just referenced, mm. um, growing a business, but I've, I've got no interest in that. And so for me, I've decided to sacrifice you know, the size of a business potentially, maybe not, but, um, yeah, to help out around the house, to help out with family, to look after my health, mm. to, to, to hopefully maintain hobbies, just things that I, I feel are very easy to let go in, especially in a culture that's just obsessed with financial growth. Like when people look at you, I, I imagine the one thing they're fascinated by is, oh, how much is he worth? And they, they fail to recognize the depth of what it is you've actually created because, yeah, sure, how much are you worth? But, but also he's got four kids and a wife who loves him and he's healthy and he's, he's passionate. He's got, I mean, I've seen you on the pulpit at church. You've got other things going on in your life and, I don't think there's too many people operating in business at the level that you are who, who can say that.
1: Mm. So was there a question in there? I'm just trying to.
0: I'm not sure, Jase. <laughs> if there was one, feel free to find it. Um, it was definitely a, at the very least, it was a compliment. Yeah,
1: okay. Well, <laughs> well I'll take the compliment because I don't get a lot of those, so I'm going to treasure that. Um, it's funny, You started. you started with that reference to my Tuesday nights And it's funny how often that comes up and I'm a little older and, or I'm a lot older and just a little wiser since Mm -hmm. that, um, that rhythm of, of my weekly pattern um, happened. And so for, yeah, for, for a couple of years uh, at, at a time in our business where it just demanded so much of me, but we had young children. And Paulina often would describe it felt like she was a single mum because I was travelling so much. And please don't for a moment think I got this right as often as I should have, Mm. okay? So, you know, the the biggest tension in our marriage has been the tug of war between the calling I have felt to the marketplace to, to run a scaled business for impact. And we can come back to that if you want, but like, yeah. there's a tension around what it, it wasn't just a job. It wasn't, it wasn't even a commercial undertaking. Like I, I, I say to people, I am an absolute accident. Uh, I never wanted to run a business. Like sincerely, I'm not. It's not false modesty. I had no desire. In fact, the whole thing it was abhorrent to me, which is so ironic as to where as to where I ended up. But but I actually felt genuinely called to do it not something I could do but something I must do um for a whole bunch of reasons and we might unpack that but but the but the other tension is I'm the only person who can be Paulina's husband and I'm the only person who can be my kid's father and of course if I neglect that they will go looking for poor substitutes yeah and that will just bring me to my knees so how do I do both? And, and Paulina was my wife. She's such a great tension in my world, but a tension nonetheless, um,
0: <laughs> because she
1: would hold me to account and she would say, well, you know, we talked about the fact that when we, when we had kids, you'd be home for dinner every night. And, you know, you said you wanted to be part of their world. And, and, and I said I needed you here. And so between sort of 5 o'clock at night and 8 p.m., I'd be there for dinner. I'd do the baths, the bed routine, and, you know, right up until five, I was working like a slave. And then at 8 p.m., I would open the laptop and I'd work till 2 o'clock in the morning and then get up at 5.30 and do it all over again. And I did that for 10 or 15 years, Tyson. But wow. but in that real, um, that real trough, of where home was demanding more of me than I could give and work was was taking a lot as well. I did negotiate with Paulina one night, one night in the week, Tuesday night. Your, your memory serves you well. And it, and it was my eighth day in the week. And when everyone clocked off at 5 p.m., I stayed back and I would work literally right through the night at the office. I didn't go home for dinner. I didn't go home and see the kids. And I would just... You know, the phone wouldn't ring and I would just get all my paperwork done. I'd get all my contract work done. I'd get all of my visioneering and all of my strategic thinking and I'd solve all the hard problems. And it was just such an important way for me to leapfrog. And I did it maybe for a year or two. Right. And so let's not exaggerate this. I couldn't have done it forever. Um, And it's interesting. I was writing a book and one of the chapters was on sleep. And I was preaching what I was not practicing because I was talking about all of the benefits of a good night's sleep. And here I was writing it at three o'clock in the morning. And I actually felt like God say to me, I gave you a special superpower for a short period of time to enable you to fulfill those things that are important to you and to me. But, mm-hmm. but I also heard him say not long after that, but that's not going to last forever. And and pretty well after I published that book, ironically, I, I started to recondition a more normal sleep pattern and not work into the night quite as long. And it's taken me probably another 10 years to recalibrate my physicality around it because I just abused the way our bodies are designed to run for so long, but there was a special superpower for it for a season. Anyway, I say all that, bro. I say all that mostly to make this point, and that is you can do extraordinary things. You can stay up late and go without sleep, or you can work two jobs or you can innovate a business and disrupt an industry and do some crazy travel schedules. You can do all those things, but only for a season. Only for a season. If you make it a lifestyle, if you make it something that becomes a intractable habit, your family will suffer. Your health Mm. will suffer. And so I think that depending on your limits and your accountabilities and putting careful guardrails in your life, right? As long as you've got some of those measures, you can be extreme for a season. And most business people have had to do that at some point because there's nothing easy about starting a business, let alone pushing it through the tough times like COVID. I think just before we did press record, I said to you, uh, for three months during COVID, I hosted 650 meetings on zoom in a three month period like i was going from six in the morning till nine o'clock at night in 20 minute intervals uh all day every day paulina would just throw sandwiches through the door um, (laughs) check for proof of life fill up my (laughs) water jug and i just had to keep going keep going keep going because there was just so much going on in our world and and look it nearly killed me but i could do it for six weeks But it was an extraordinary effort for a short period of time. And then you have to recover. You need to recalibrate. You need to normalize. And the problem in this world is we don't know the off button. We don't know how to normalize. Mm. We don't know how to get back into uh, a sync or a rhythm that is sustainable. And then we burn out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting, I feel like this is one area that, that you and I amongst a whole heap of other people <clears throat> but but especially I felt like I related to you at the church when I was working there was I felt like a lot of what I was passionate about when I was speaking from the stage was around that balance and was around just trying to figure out clearly in my own life and it was it was funny that you were writing a chapter on sleep oh, yeah. at three a.m. in the morning because it isn't it isn't it ironic that the things you most need to hear seem to be the things that you or the things that you're most passionate about or speak most clearly about are probably the things that are the biggest issues in your own life. Don't we
1: want that, though? Don't we want to hear from people who are talking from a lived experience or from a current and present danger, like a a wrestle? Almost I would rather listen to people who are in the trench fighting the war that they're speaking on, not necessarily um, sharing someone else's story. And So we get our passion, we get our insights, we get our convictions around actually having to have tamed that tiger ourselves uh, rather than, you know, speaking from some theoretical perspective.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's tricky, isn't it? Because you'll listen to someone on stage and you're like, oh, if, only, if only I had their knowledge on this subject, then I would be happy, but forgetting the chaos that has led them to the yeah, knowledge I, I, that I, they now hold.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, we all want the stories of going to hell and back. We want the... We we want to be able to say we went from rags to riches. We want to get to the summit of Everest. Sorry to bring up a sore point, but we, we, we want to, We want to we want to get to the top of the mountain and say we arrived and plan our flag. But we forget that. Oh my gosh, the training, you know the yeah. the, the the hardships, the frostbite, the the near death experiences, the fact that I, my brain's been starved from oxygen for too long. It's like okay, so actually, nah, I don't really want it. I don't want it that bad. Mm. And so we just like hearing stories about it and living vicariously. But, you know, it's that guy, the man who gets in the arena, gets the sweat, the blood, the dust on his face. Like don't criticise that guy. Either get in the arena with him or
0: enjoy the show,
1: but just, you know, clap politely and move on.
0: Jesse and I have been together for 15 years now, and I remember in the early stages of our relationship, one thing she didn't understand was I'd get so angry. This was enlightening to me as well. I've got a memory of driving into and where my family's from, hitting the big tennis courts. I'm watching just some gun tennis players hit the ball, and uh, Jesse goes, oh, I wish I was good at tennis. And I was like, well, do it. Like, don't. So, like, so, you're so you're,
1: you're as compassionate as i am
0: <laughs> oh, for sure that was a type one moment that was me that was me being a, a d both figuratively and literally i think yeah. oh. it's a uh, it's a hundred percent true yeah i've got very little compassion for for things like that it's a it's a work in progress that i know i'll never nail but no i i fully sympathize with with what you're talking about there like there is a there's definitely there's a lot of opinions um, and, and very few people willing to step in the ring at least for the amount of time that someone like yourself has been in there one of, the, one of the things I wanted to ask you about Jace, before I before I forget is back onto the subject of systems like I understand that with reference to your business there's there's certain things that must be in place uh, and I know there's going to be an overlap here but with your your daily and weekly structure, do you have a pretty uh, dialed in system? So, what is it? Today is Tuesday. It's about 10, 10.30. Like, do you? This is obviously a time that you've got allocated to things, either external to the business or media or whatever it is. How do you structure the week around what it is that Back in Motion needs to needs to be focusing on?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, because it's been so long, bro, since we've caught up. And we're having this conversation with who knows how many listeners. Let me just be really clear. Um, We've actually transitioned, or I have transitioned in my role in a significant way in the last two years. So uh, after COVID, just to catch you up really quickly so that I can answer that question in context. um, After COVID, we had a number of offers on our business. We ended up running a structured Sales process. I got ninety three expressions of interest. There was a Dutch oh. auction going crazy in the unseen oh, wow. world behind the curtain. We um, we ended up dating twenty of those prospects for a year. I got it down to three, and eventually did a backdoor listing onto the ASX through a, div- a divestment to a, uh, a health aggregator called Healthier uh, in October twenty one. So that, oh. so that was a really significant milestone for me and what you're asking, because you're now trying to get into, well, what does a typical day in my life look like and what sort of routines do I run? Um, and everything changed in October 21 because I no longer had to be the CEO. I sat on the board oh. for a little while. Uh, I'm, I've got such a diverse amount of interests now, ranging from writing and speaking through to running our charitable trust and being involved in missional philanthropy to still operating businesses and sitting on and chairing boards that actually my week from one day to the next is really, <laughs> really <laughs> diverse. But yep. but there's still, but, you know, like I said, I love routine. I, I, you know, we just had two months in the U.S., one of my boys is living over there on a soccer scholarship. I saw that, and, um, and and so you know, two months of just no routine because we're traveling, we're on holidays, we've got the family with me, and two months is a long time for me to be out of routine. I was actually finding myself looking forward to coming home and getting getting yep. back on a clock because it's just how I'm wired. And so yep. you know, if, if I was to give you the general, uh, I'm up at I'm up at six. Uh, I'll spend the first hour with God in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, I'll generally spend the second hour exercising and again, that's pretty diverse too. That can be anything from a game of tennis to a walk or a run through to a, you know, a strength and conditioning session in the gym. So, you know, I just mix it up because I get bored easily Uh, and I'm not, and I'm not a, I'm not competing. It's, it's just lifestyle fitness. Um, and then pretty well from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., I'm available to the family. So there's kids, school drop off. We've got four kids. Um, there's, you know, maybe helping with lunches or cleaning up the kitchen or whatever, you know, like eight to nine. It's just I'm around. And then generally from nine to five, I am engaged in meaningful work so that you know this is meaningful I'm getting to hang out with you and um you're teaching me a whole bunch of stuff and I, I think that's great so I see this as as really good use of my time but 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 from one day to the next what happens between nine to five is like unpredictable I'm I'm yeah. um, running a seminar later this afternoon online as a guest speaker I'm um, just come back from Queensland where I spoke at a conference up there um tomorrow I've got three individuals who I'm just going to be meeting and mentoring with. So, you know, it just looks really diverse. But then five o'clock as a general rule, I I, I shut down the meaningful work and I'm re-engaged in family. So, you know, my, my, my world is pretty vanilla in terms of, you know, yeah. like there's nothing unique about my system or my schedule, except that I follow it just about every day. And if you looked at my diary, if I shared my screen right now, you'd, Most people have conniptions when they see my calendar (laughs) because every 15-minute increment is accounted for. Even if it's just to sit and do nothing, uh, I will program it in or I will retrospectively account for my time with what I did in that spontaneous hour that I didn't have a commitment because I want to know what am I using my most precious resource on? So it's either a preview or a review and it's all color coded. It's, it's, it's all, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty intense. I'm not necessarily recommending this as much as I'm confessing my obsession, but, but, but I'm just determined that time, you know, like I'm, I'm halfway through my life, mate. I've only got another half left. And every day I live now uh, it's, it's, it's like I'm on the downhill, now that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know. I try not to get discouraged over that, but but time—it's not it doesn't go on forever. So I have to be a good steward of the most critical thing God's given me to make a difference in this world, and to ensure when I pass from this world into the next, I'm in the best possible shape spiritually. I, I've got to use my time well.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That, I, I think, I, think I rambled there a bit. No, nah, you didn't, man. It was a, uh, it was a really, really interesting answer. It's, it's funny because I often ebb and flow between trying to be a little spontaneous with my time, and like you, I feel as though I'm wired to like maybe uh, I don't know if this is what it is, but I feel I'm a little type A. So the idea yeah. of knowing exactly where every fifteen minutes of my day was spent gets me so excited. <laughs> um,
1: do it for an exercise. A- I, I actually get a lot of guys to do it, even if it's just a, um, just, just you know a momentary insight do a bit of a time audit and um do it over a week and then you can forget that I ever said it and you don't have to be that anal about it but (laughs) but it's amazing it's amazing what I can learn about you when I Hmm. when I see what you invest your time into and what you can learn about me And um, if you're open to then changing something about that, your productivity can go through the roof, but probably more importantly, the significance with which you live your life can matter a whole lot more because it's all about impact. You know, I I, want to be somebody who has meaningful impact. It doesn't have to be global. It can be very personal and singular. But why would I even want to talk with you for an hour uh, on this podcast if nothing I say has any positive, meaningful influence for you? And why would mm. I want to listen to you if nothing you say can shift the dial in my life? Like, time's too precious, mate.
0: Yeah, Jace. Man, honestly, like every conversation, it could go on for, for hours and hours, but I understand that you do have seven other things in no particular order <laughs> to get done today, and so before with that 10 I'll, um, I'll let you go. <laughs> Man, it's um it's been a long time coming, so I'm so glad we got the opportunity to, to get this one done. I, I know I know the listeners are absolutely love it. I'll make sure, I didn't even get to touch on your book, but I'll link that in the, the show notes to this episode yeah. for anyone who's interested. I read this morning, just before you go, international bestseller. Am I making that up?
1: Uh, no, you're not, but... I mean, like all these things, there's um, there's different uh, definitions of what qualify for those things. So officially, yes, but...
0: Uh, let's not clarify. But, but, International yeah, bestseller, yeah. Jason Smith. I'll just let the mystery
1: <laughs> linger around that. But let's just say it's, it's sold well in Australia and New Zealand. There's two books, actually. One is Get Yourself Back in Motion. That's the the uh, the secrets of a physiotherapist. But um, there's another one called Outside In, Downside Up Leadership. So if you want to hear all my horror stories in business, that That's the one, 50 lessons that I learned. Um, So you can get that at jasonsmith.com.au.
0: Awesome, man. Will do. All right, Jason. Great talking. Thanks so much for coming on, as always. Ciao. See you later.